G'day everyone, and g'day to our listeners around Australia and also across the globe. With a lot of people struggling in the community due to the state of the virus and the restrictions we have to temporarily live under, the interview and the topics we are delving into are of high importance. We encourage you to take your time, listen, enjoy, and share it to those who may also find our conversation interesting or important. Now, unfortunately, we didn't have our marvellous producer with us for this one, of which Gus and I, of course, had another technical difficulty. So the upcoming interview will be split into two parts. That's it from me. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. G'day everyone, welcome to another episode of Chewing the Bat, where we delve into numerous sporting topics around Australia and also across the globe. In, ep- in this episode, we've got a special guest today, one that we've had on the show previously, and he goes by the name of Tom Greer-Smith. My name's Jack, and I'm gladly, once again, joined by p- oh, in the post-lockdown world with Gus. Gus Bus, how you going? Good, Jack. I'm glad to be back. <laughs> Very good. happy to be here. That's good. I, I would like to put a pause on, do you have another name, Tom? Or is that an Elias? Or is that your real name? Or do you just go by Tom Greer-Smith? Well, uh, you know, I'm sometimes it's a bit of a mouthful, but <laughs> Tom's Tombo? fine. Tombo, yeah. Look. I wanted to start professionally with the full name. It is. It sounded very professional. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Keep going, we'll, Jack. Yeah, we'll go with Tombo. Do your thing. <laughs> do my thing. Whatever makes you happy, mate. Um, we'll go Tombo. I think that's a bit easier. Add two more letters, always easier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tombo, thanks again for joining us for yet another interview. Um, we're going to delve deep in uh, a few topics that uh, you are very passionate about, mm-hmm. some that are very relevant and very important at the moment coming out of lockdown and with some states across, a lot of states across the country still in lockdown. Yeah. Um, but before that, before we delve deep and go down a bit of a rabbit hole, mm. Tokyo, how good? Glorious. <laughs> good. <laughs> very, very good. I think it's come to an end. So we're recording this. Has it actually? I was wondering this today. I didn't look it well, up. So they, in the past, I believe they usually finished with the marathon into the Ooh. closing ceremony of oh. which the marathon was held this morning, but there has been no closing ceremony. Oh. So Maybe they're doing a night time. There must be. I, think, I have an inkling there's a couple more events tonight. Baseball, maybe. Rounding up. I haven't seen any baseball yet. I think America was playing Japan yesterday. I don't know what happened in that match. We'll, we'll get to it. <laughs> to your own risk. Potentially. <laughs> there's a lot of surprises. Um, anyway, um, boys, we're going to do a quick around the table. We've had two unbelievable weeks of Olympics. Some unbelievable highlights of that. We're going to try and delve into our favorite highlight of the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. Who wants to kick it off? I don't know. We're, making, <laughs> we're all just making eyes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think we go clockwise and we start with guests first. Guests first. What was your one of your highlights of the Tokyo Olympics? Yeah, because it was all amazing. It was amazing to see athletes perform at their best abilities. Um Early on, Owen Wright, um, oh yeah, fantastic story. Yeah, um, obviously fantastic to see surfing in the Olympics for the first time. Um, and I don't know if many people know of his injury background to be walking and let alone surfing. You know, he um, had a severe head injury, did he, or was think, it? A yeah, he got held under the water at pipe, possibly. Mm, yeah, and and he had some um, some surgeries and stuff like that. But yeah. to see him back um, surfing and to get bronze was was fantastic, unbelievable. And to see everyone get around him, that was yeah, that that's was awesome. that, that was cool. Uh, from that, I think Sally Fitz, she's the first um, surfer. She won the first heat ever in the Olympics for surfing. Oh, fantastic! And, and Oe won the first medal. I think he was the first because oh, to the, claim the medal, they did the bronze playoff first. first. Oh, yeah, okay. And I think it was the men's bronze playoff first, so I think he won surf off. Apologies. <laughs> cool that. So I think he won the very first medal. Wow, that's awesome. Um, Too far. And obviously last night with the Boomers, fantastic. Oh, How good was one. that game? That 
bronze has never felt so good. No, first medal, I think, for, for Australian <laughs> basketball. In yeah. any world champs or Olympics. Yeah, right. Okay, because obviously basketball being one of your main sports, Gus. Yeah, well, what can I say? No. <laughs> <laughs> Gus and I were chatting about this last night. We reckon we're going to get a big mural. Of Paddy Thrills Mills somewhere on the oh, walls behind how good us. Who did he play last night? How many points? 42. 42 wow. pieces. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. And Do- I guess Donchich, like, oh, wow. Oh. He just took it to him. 40 piece of McNugget with two extra. Yeah, that was. <laughs> <laughs> As they say. As they say. I've had that. As uh, I was a bit worried at one point, though, because Donchich was, he's a type of player that I said to um, housemate Taines, like, Gotta be careful here. They're up ten points, the Aussies, but Doncic can literally just go back to back threes. Oh, those step back threes, and, and he did just it. Exchanging, he, and he did like, oh. it, and then put, closed up. We went to closed three. Up with him three. Yeah. I'm like, damn, we're in for a game here. It was Exum. Yes. Yeah. Exum went. Yeah. Drew a charge. Three dunk yeah. or something yeah, like. Yeah, it was, yeah. But he just had this little run. Yeah. yeah. And and Joey Ingles hit a few big big threes. He did too. Back to back too. Mm-hmm. So unreal. Was would that be your highlight of the Olympics, Gus? Yeah, probably. I can come up with another. All right, one. go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was that was unreal. Because I think they, in twenty sixteen at Rio, I think they only lost by a point in the semi to Spain. Oh. Mm. I think they were very. I think they were super close. I think it was on free throws, and then they lost the bronze playoff. I think it was similar in the twenty nineteen World Cup. So they like Paddy in particular, just really wanted it. So it was pretty cool. Well, you could see that. Mm. I think. I think otherwise. A few of the sportsmanship moments have been pretty cool. And I guess that's what the Olympics are known for, but I'd sort of forgotten. I think just in terms of athletes sort of supporting each other and getting around each other as competitors. Yep. Yep. Like, obviously, the gold medal share yeah. from the high jump was pretty all time. The men's high jump. Cool. From the Italian and... Qatar. Qatar. Yeah. Mm. Just looked at each other and went... Well, it looked yeah. like the Qatar guy originally who was yeah. talking to the supervisor. Like, can we... Yeah. It's like, can we Share two goals. And then what he said, do you want to make history or whatever to Some, the Italian guy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And the celebration after that from both was just... Into yeah. each other's uh, arms. Yeah, unbelievable. It was all time. There's been a few moments. I think it was... I don't know what race it was. It was on the track. Maybe it was 100... What did they do? 110 meter hurdles mm. in the in the women's. I think it was like... I probably got that totally wrong. But I know it was a track event. Mm. It was the previous world record holder or world champion was... Didn't, r- didn't run high enough in the heat to qualify. Yep. She was comforting the girl who came third, who was nervously waiting to see if she'd make it on time. Mm. She went over and comforted her after she'd just got knocked out and was like, no, no, you'll be sweet. I think that was a fast race. You'll make it through. And she did in the end, made it to the final. So it was just a good um, good little moment. Yeah, amazing. Similar. Yeah. Um, mine also comes from a bit of a heart or a heartfelt story, a team, a team act, a selfless act. So Australia won their first ever medal in the decathlon. Wow. A few oh, days ago, yeah. through Ash Maloney, and only twenty-one. Yeah, twenty-one years of age. Wow. He got the bronze in the decathlon. So there's something ridiculous, like ten different events that they had to cover over two days. I reckon I could rattle them off. <laughs> <laughs> I get close. go. Hundred meter, four hundred meter. Yep. Javelin shot put. Yep. Fifteen hundred. Yep. Now we're in trouble. High, High jump, jump. Long jump. Yep. Discus. I think there's shot put. I said shot put. I reckon. And now I'm we'll struggling. put discus in there. Is there a fifteen hundred in there? I think I said fifteen hundred. I think that's it. But no, that's not ten. Anyway, we're close. Oh. <laughs> Who's counting? It's anyway, very impressive, mate. Anyway, so Tumbo. they came into the they came the two Aussies came into the last event, which is the fifteen hundred, and Cedric Dubler. This is the other Aussie. Didn't get a medal. <laughs> Great name. <laughs> very good I name. I think he was carrying a leg injury. He was some sort of hammy or something. I think so, but he was. I don't know. He was. This is his pet event, the 1500. He was out of medal contention. Mm. Ash Maloney was in medal contention. Had to finish within, I think, the top 10 and get a certain time. They do this points system, right? Yeah, it's a weird they point system. They win on points. Who knows anyway, how that works? Mm. So with all that, he had to get a certain amount of points. Cedric, um, when mid-race, he paced for Ash. So he was running ahead of him, pacing. On the last lap, he slowed down, ran next to him, and was geeing wow. him up, you know, yelling at him, telling him kick. to go, kick, mate, kick. Explicit words were said, I think. Um, and Ash ended up getting over the line, finished about tenth or eleventh, but got the time that he needed yep. to get the bronzy. Wow. He, he was holding a slim lead, but he was running behind the guy that was in fourth overall. Yes. Mm. So he needed to not slip too far back. 
and he got it. So wow, it's one of my moments. Cedric, very good. Plus the swimming, the swimming was oh, unbelievable. How good! Actually, Performed. Evan McKeon just being the all-time Australian medal mm-hmm. record many, holder. How many medals she get? Seven in one in, Olympics, yeah. but wow. she's now up to ten. 10 or 11 total. And she's still young. Because I think Thorpey and Liesl Jones both have nine. So I think she overtook them. There you go. Yeah, she'll be in Paris, I reckon. Bloody oath. Wow. Three years. Three years away. Yeah. Along with Cody Simpson, probably. (laughs) (laughs) In the 100 meter uh, butterfly. I would expect so. Yeah, it was his one second off the pace. That'll come. Yeah. (laughs) Three years, surely. You can shave off a second in three years. Um, That... Pretty good highlights there, boys. Um, we're going to do another podcast later on the week, potentially next week, for a full Tokyo recap. All right. I believe. I'd like to anyway. Cool. <laughs> Surprise guest. Get, 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 get producer Frey up. Yeah, he doesn't yeah, know yet back. that we're doing that. But um, anyway, before we rip into what we're going to talk about with Tombo in terms of depression, sleep, anxiety, um, mm-hmm. a lot of big crunching topics. Mm-hmm. I believe you got something for us. I do actually, mate. <laughs> I um, have a present for you here, Jack. Yeah, and I've um, been waiting for this. I, I know, because I wanted to give it to you live. Well, he's just... Co- I didn't know I will get in the present, and he said, I'll, I'll give it to you within the podcast, so... Yeah, and and it's a present, which is kind of funny, because um, technically, I think you actually paid for this. Oh, no. <laughs> That's the best... That's like a Father's Day present. <laughs> <laughs> Can I take a guess? Yeah, before, before. Or do you want to be surprised? I think I know what it is. Oh no, shut come on, give it to us. <laughs> Mate, um oh, here I knew it. is <laughs> I <knew it>. your <laughs> LMS jersey oh, yeah. personalized wow. with Maury on the back. We'll Last send photos standing. and stick it up on the gram. But oh that's unbelievable. You know what? I might put that up on the wall. Show me the front. Wow, that's a nice shirt right there. How many games did I play? One? I think I think you played one. <laughs> <laughs> paid good money so. for the shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get the cap straight exactly. away. Exactly. I'll take it. You played for the Dossers Dozen. You know, Shout and, out. And if, if, Dossers do- if Dossers Dozen puts in a team in the near future, yeah, I'll be there. You've got a shirt. I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a shirt. Bad. <laughs> I don't know if I'll get any game time, but <laughs> slip me out in the field. I'll do my job. That is all time. I hope to see you wearing that soon. Oh, I definitely will. Just around the house, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Next time we've seen. Yeah. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Shirt. Thanks, mate. Thanks for that. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for um, playing that one game for us. I don't know how. Taking I... wickets, getting runs, I imagine. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Can't remember, to be honest. I do actually remember I was... It came down to the last couple overs and we had to up the run rate, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I had to either tonk balls or get out. Of which neither I did, <laughs> because I think because I think we had um, Barra standing at square leg yeah. waiting to come in, um, and obviously he's been seeing watermelons, yeah, absolutely, um, and had to retire on fifty, so they had to they could. Oh, he was ready in. to he come back, back in, just saying, 50. "Mate, get out." <laughs> yeah, so like if you're not if you're not hitting boundaries, you need to get out. <laughs> anyway, just swing failed it. to do both. I've probably got a few runs. Squeeze Quick singles, squeeze it, squeeze it. Noodling <laughs> balls <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> um, all right, uh, let's get in. Let's get into it. Thanks again for the present, mate. That was fantastic. Um, so, boys, we just had what a ten-day lockdown. Mm. Um, Something like that. Who's, who's like, counting? Who, yeah, who's counting? Pretty tough. Not as tough as what Sydney and Melbourne have gone through. I think yep. Melbourne last year went through a, what a hundred-day. Lockdown with certain restrictions mm. changing throughout. Sydney is still in their seventh week now of their lockdown. Yeah, um, getting worse, and we are thankfully somewhat out of on, our on fingernails skating through. Yes, mm. just um, so we're out of our lockdown as of an hour ago. So all all legal here. What's yeah. happening? Because <laughs> <laughs> Anna's watching us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually did wait till four on the dot to leave. I was like, you may as well, just in case. Hold on. <laughs> I could be waiting for you. You never know. Never know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the lockdowns have um, paid a toll on a lot of people. And mm. we've noticed from the lockdown, or what I've noticed, um, is the increase in certain um, mental health problems, mm. um, which have then led to an increase in suicide rates as well. Um, so the big things we're going to talk about today are depression, mm-hmm. the importance of sleep, 
um, and of course anxiety and stress. Um, but not only, Tombo, are you going to delve into these issues, you're going to hopefully give us, not hopefully, you are going to give us <laughs> <laughs> some tips, some advice, yep. how to conquer these things, how to potentially not diagnose yourself but differ these um, certain uh, problems or he- yeah. health issues um, with each other. And we have no time limit here, I believe. So that's a bit of a dangerous one. What is time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rabbit hole. And a it, bit of a rabbit hole, an important one. Of yes, that. yes. And, and that's why, you know, um, I really appreciate, you know, the platform that you guys have here because it's very... It's, 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 <laughs> it's still a platform. But <laughs> it is a platform. Um, but also the, the way, you know, we're doing it here in terms of these... Um, these these podcasts are a long discussion format where we can really delve deeply into these different things. And I think that is a really good way to understand this stuff. I mean, obviously, in today's society, everything's quick and fast and we see headlines here and people don't maybe read deeply into stuff. Um, so having it in this conversational way is, is really powerful. So, yeah, look, o- overall... Um, especially last week or so was probably quite challenging for a lot of people. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the stats with Lifeline that uh, they recorded their highest amount of calls in a day mm. in their recorded history. Really? Three and a half thousand, I think something around those numbers. In, in the day? In the day. Um, Lifeline, obviously, um, as a primary suicide prevention hotline. Um, so that's really alarming statistics. Um, and obviously there is a huge variety of factors yep. that go into that. Um, <clears throat> but, and, and that's why, uh, you know, there's lots of stuff around the lockdown and, and there's lots of different things to be understood around it. But I, I think part of this conversation that we wanted to have here is to give some people some understanding some some knowledge but also some tools to help them navigate some of these tough times because i mean yes we're we're out right now yep. but um well, uh, if i was a betting morning, man i'd say we'd go back <laughs> in go, they're pretty willing to go hard <laughs> and fast early, yeah and, and then obviously will. you know because of the far far reach that this um podcast has i'm sure there's lots of people listening around the country we're, we're international too and international are yeah. we <clears throat> oh we got a couple international listeners well, yeah. I mean, and obviously a lot of our stats come out of the, the states and the CDC after with last year released some pretty interesting um, information around, uh, I, I think it was um, like 11, 11% of, of people reported that they uh, were experiencing suicidal mm. um, thoughts and they ran out of Prozac, one of the main antidepressants. 11% of the population. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's what, that's it there. That's, yeah. Yeah. It's it's heavy. Like, I mean, if you think about it, like <clears throat> with what we just heard with the stats, the, the highest amount of, of um, calls to, um, to to Lifeline. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a huge issue. Um, and part of the reason is the isolation, right? Um, we aren't, we're communal animals. We aren't meant to be isolated. No. Um, and if you think about it, I mean, one of the most, um, I, I guess, hardline, difficult um, punishments for people is solitary confinement. Yes. Right? What does that tell you? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's well we can we can dive deeply into that in terms of why that is so difficult for the brain from a chemical point of view. But I, I think it speaks to a lot of the issues that maybe aren't addressed. Um, uh, with, I mean, there's very complex issues are, uh, around what's happening now, but uh, I think that my endeavor is to provide as much information, um, tips and tools for people to navigate these tough times because there's nothing we can do uh, about what's happening with, I guess, the political stuff. But in terms of what we can do for our own mental health, our own well-being, um, you know, that that's in our hands. Yep. So absolutely keen to dive into a lot of that stuff. Awesome. And um, this does stem from a previous interview we did with you, I guess a couple of months back now, where we only scratched the surface of... A bit of an overarching... Yeah, overarching we talked... Summarization. Yeah, of anxiety, depression. We did link it to... Went in, went in a couple of deep deep holes, but not, not too far. 
we'll go a bit deeper it today. Just dipped the toes. <laughs> it mm, did. Okay. Um, so this stems from that. If you haven't listened to that already, I, I think I'd recommend go back, have a listen. It was a very good first interview. Um, but like I said before, we're going apparently to hugely, successful. hugely successful. Jack told oh, us beforehand. Well, <laughs> we don't know the statistics or the um, variables no about you. <laughs> Jack does it. Though. Yeah, yeah. Three from three. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. Review in the room. Hundred percent enjoyment. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good stats. Um, but our first interview, we linked it a little bit to sport towards the end. We're yeah. not going to be doing that today. We're going to be sticking purely to away from sport. We've had our little Olympics chat. Um, the first big topic we want to touch on is depression yeah um what you've seen within depression rates with lockdowns Mm -hmm. in the last maybe even over the last couple years with lock coming in and out of lockdowns yeah um but one of the biggest things that we're going to start off with and i'd love to know is a lot of people i guess get caught up with um identifying depression with sadness Mm. and the difference of the two yep can you start off there yeah really really good question so um, we all experience sadness, right? That's, that's, that's a human emotion that we all experience. Now, and everyone will experience sadness and, and happiness and, and the whole gamut of, of emotions. Now, depression, and maybe it's a good place to, to start to describe it in terms of how we um, describe it clinically, right? So um, if I was to diagnose someone, um, it's major depressive disorder is the diagnosis, yep. right? <clears throat> and there are a, a series of criteria that someone needs to met or, or meet that they would need to meet enough of those criteria to meet the diagnostic criteria based on the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. And um, so it's important to understand that. So what we're looking at is is a depressed mood for most of the days, more days than than not so most days in a two-week period is how we look at it so you might experience a depressed a depressive episode a depressed mood um but we're really looking at it that it's most days and it's most of the day that you're experiencing that and then um there are a range of other things that go with it Uh, one of the big things is around um how you enjoy or, or or a reduction in interest in activities so you're not doing activities that you previously enjoyed doing for example if I wasn't playing as much tennis or if Gus wasn't playing as much basketball I haven't played in a while not (laughs) (laughs) that was more of a a statement of my hobbies and and so and and again a, a good way to dive into that is going well it's a reduction in those activities that you used to find pleasurable or that you got pleasure out of and you've avoided them or stopped doing them yeah so um so we're reducing our activities and so you see people staying um in their homes and they might be staying in their beds or they're just not doing any pleasure seeking activities pulling back pulling back um avoiding social interactions um commonly we see issues with insomnia and we're going to talk about sleep later um we sometimes see um, <clears throat> issues uh, around um, uh, motor control and that sort of stuff okay. as, as well. Um, so there's, there's a series of things that go into that um, that are a lot larger than what maybe the general public might see. Now, it's important to understand that your mental health ebbs and flows. It goes up and down, right? And I think that um, maybe the influences on not influences, but the stuff from... Well, actually, yeah, that too. Stuff from social media. <laughs> you said it. Yeah, yeah that's it. Slipped, it slipped out. It slipped out. <laughs> um, yeah, social media. And, and just in society, we have this notion that we should be happy the whole time. Which is pretty ludicrous when you think about it. It's just not reality. It's mm. just not true. So um, <clears throat> I think being aware that we need to experience all the emotions and it's not healthy to expect to be happy the whole time. Um, it ebbs and flows and we've got emotions for a range of different reason, reasons. Otherwise, why would we have sadness and, and all these different things? And it's a good indication to do stuff. Um, so, and, and if we look at it, <clears throat> what's actually happening there is the brain has evolved to protect us, right? Its main job is to keep us alive, to survive. Um, And 
what's actually happening there is the brain is going, well, I know that if you spend more time by yourself, then you are going to be more likely to be open to predation. You are going to go lower on the social hierarchy. You're not going to get food. You're not going to make connections. You're going to make all these things. So it sort of punishes the individual by a range of different chemical stuff. And that's what we experience as depression. It's going, hey, this isn't great. You need to be around with other people. <clears throat> now, the really terrible thing is it's a, it's a circle, right? Mm. In that when an individual is feeling unhappy and sad, they're going, well, I want to avoid stuff. I, d I don't want to go and, and mm. talk to people. Because um, feeling... <clears throat> Because you're, you're feeling average, I don't, I don't feel you know. Like I want to be out there. Yeah, I don't want to go talk to people right and everything like that. And and so you avoid situations, you avoid doing those activities that you got enjoyment from, and all those activities are increasing your dopamine and serotonin. We can talk about that, about that in a second. But that creates this vicious cycle of avoidance and then punishment yep. chemically in the brain. So with that, does does sadness then lead into depression or are they two completely separate things no and that's a good question yeah it can so everyone you're gonna feel sad you know like if that seventh leg of the multi doesn't get up <laughs> the worst <laughs> or a tenth leg that's even <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not the really double stings. digits <laughs> um yeah so gamble you, responsibly yes always thanks jack he <laughs> <laughs> implies he's a regular ten leg up <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway. exactly um yeah, you, you're going to... So what we're looking at, like on all these things, it's a spectrum. Yep. All these things is a spectrum. Is that, yes, we're going to feel sadness and happiness. And that's why I said that it's... a it's um, You know, it ebbs and flows. It goes up and down. Um, and, and that's totally normal. I want people to, t to understand that if you have a sad day and you're feeling completely crap, that is totally normal. Mm. When we want to start maybe considering looking at different options and, and seeking help is when we are feeling these depressed moods or these, you know, very, very sad moods for most of the day and for most days on end. Yep. Um, and then when we start seeing, we have issues with concentration, we have issues with sleeping. Um, and when we, some of the stuff that I highlighted earlier, when we start seeing those, then yes, go seek help. And obviously, one of the main criteria is also um, suicidal thoughts. Um, and so that's definitely when we want to seek help. Um, and for everyone out there, it's actually a really simple process. Go to your GP yep. and you can ask them for a mental health plan. You get $88 or so rebate back and everyone's entitled to 10 or so in the year and they keep changing the rules, but that's fine. Um, the main thing is you can go to your GP and you can ask them for a mental health plan and, and every Australian citizen is eligible for that. Um, so that's highly encouraged. Um, and look, you don't need to tell your GP a whole lot of stuff. Right. You don't need to. Because I guess there'd be a lot of people out there that are afraid Afraid of the process. Afraid yeah, of the process. and there's huge stigma involved, absolutely. You know, I saw that so much working out the w out west and everything there. Huge stigma involved. Um, and the analogy that I would, especially when I was um, talking with a lot of public officials to try and um, get them to understand the importance of mental health is that you really can't separate the two. I, I really laugh when people are like, you know, well, what about this for your psychological well-being and your physical well-being? And that's just a way to categorize it. But you are one organism. Yeah. You cannot have one thing without the other and one thing influences the other. And so you go to your GP. This is what I would say to them. I'll say, well, you, do you go to your GP if there's something wrong? Yeah, 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 like not all the time and some people are super stoic about stuff. But, <laughs> you know... Knee's been hurting a bit. But no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I heard it seven years ago and now I'm going to... Yeah. Should be. No, but but if you... Especially if you don't know, right? If you go, man, my ear hurting, I don't know what's going on, I'm not too sure, I'm just going to go down to the GP. What's yeah. up, Doc? Um, don't know what's going on. <laughs> Is that, is that common? Is that what you say when you walk in? <laughs> That's Looney Tunes. 
Um, yeah, anyway, so, but, but the thing is you say, you know, hey, I, I don't quite know what's going on right now. Yep. Um, can you give me some information? And so that's normalized in society. That's destigmatized. That people are very comfortable. If they don't know what's something, what's going on with their physical health, they'll go talk to their GP and get some information. The same thing you can do with your mental health is that there is lots of stuff that we don't quite know what's going on. I haven't felt like this before. I don't know what's going on. And it ebbs and flows, as I keep saying. And so, yes, if that's getting towards maybe, you know, a bit of a trough and it's getting a little bit low and you don't quite know, go see your GP. You know, if you feel like you need to talk to someone about it, psychologist, um, then you can ask for a mental health plan. And I really encourage people to do that, um, even if, we, you know, you haven't experienced all those symptoms that we were just talking yeah. about, um, because... You know, there's there's so many wonderful things that can be produced in those environments, and sometimes I might see a client one one time, two, mm. one one or two times, Give and that's all they need. Yeah, some strategies, some un unpack some stuff. It's hugely helpful right. to unpack stuff. So, what would a couple questions that an individual could ask themselves to then tell themselves to go into see a GP? For example, yeah. would they look at um, if they're you know, sleeping in bed all day or yeah. like you said before, if they're not doing the activities that they usually do, what are the main crunch questions that they could ask themselves? Yeah, um, really try and have some um, self-reflection of going, you know, what has my mood been like? And we really look at over those last two weeks, that's sort of that crunch period, is have I experienced a lowered or a depressed mood more days than not over the last two weeks. Yep. Um, have I been reluctant or avoiding um, activities that I previously got a whole lot of enjoyment out of and pleasure out of? Um, and yes, am I seeing effects to my sleep, to my concentration? Um, and obviously, if we're having any suicidal um, thoughts, immediately go see a professional. Um, but so those are some of the good things to check in. Um, and you can have a have a chat to your GP about it, and they're um, entitled to to provide you with a mental health plan. Yeah, amazing. Um, I'm going to de uh, delve a little bit deeper into this rabbit hole of depression and talk more about the chemicals yes. that are involved. You look at the you've lit you've lit up wow. with this one, haven't you? No um, doubt. <laughs> well, starting off with serotonin. Mm. A huge, huge chemical that, that plays an, a, a profounding factor yeah. within depression. Yeah, one of the biggest. Um, and so I think a fair few people may have heard of serotonin before. Um, I think I might even have mentioned it on the previous podcast. Well, I think, well, for me anyway, that was the first time I heard about the link between, or the huge link between serotonin and depression was mm. when you first came on and spoke about it with us. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so serotonin is a neurotransmitter. Um, it transmits stuff in the brain. Um, and its main, it like a lot of the neurotransmitters, they do a bunch of different things. It's one of its main roles is to modulate mood. Okay? And so, literally what we see there, if there's a reduction in serotonin, we see an experience of lowered mood. Yep. Now, it also has um, an influence on appetite and it also has an influence on sleep. That is low serotonin levels. In, in, well, it, it modulates it okay. in, in different yep. ways. So, for example, um, you know, that there is a huge, um, let's call it what it is, a bit of a crisis right now in Australia with um, illicit drugs use and MDMA is one of the most prominent um, drugs, and we, we won't go into it too much today. But MDMA, um, and I can't remember the actual chemical name of it, but that's what we sure. I think it's it a to. long one. It is a long one. Go on, Gus. No, I'm just thinking it. I feel like it would have methyl. It's got methyl in, in there, it, but that's all. I've yeah, got. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so what that's doing is that's artificially elevating your serotonin levels. Yep. Okay, and that's why what we see with um, I hate saying using the word party goers because he sounds so <laughs> yeah, you're out. What we see with you party goers. Yeah, 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 yeah. You sound no. like a boomer. Yeah, right. <laughs> Bronze medalist. <laughs> yeah, true. Shout out. Must be nice. Um, but what we see with individuals that um, consume um, MDMA, 
um, is that in, in large amounts is that we see a huge increase in serotonin. Now, obviously, we have a huge increase in mood. So we have that euphoric experience. They're feeling amazing. They're at concerts and raves, stuff like that. It's fantastic. Um, and then you see a reduction in appetite. So most um, mechanisms in the body as this push-pull, this beautiful, harmonious push-pull type yeah. uh, you know on off type thing in the in the body and that's important to understand is that it's not necessarily one thing does one one specific thing everyone's doing a range of different things in this beautiful push pull manner so and that's why um with that and and um there's some fantastic stu- there's actually a lot of studies going into mdma right now um in psychopharmacology which is really interesting right. and um therapy um MDMA assisted therapy actually with PTSDs. So that's actually I have heard that. Someone's yeah. told me about that. Just that's to, pretty just yeah. in a in a micro sense to sort of reset some neural connections. That's amazing. That's some amazing yeah. Thing. So quick tangent on that um, <clears throat> is that yeah we're seeing some really fantastic um, results. Um, Maps I think is the main organization in the states that are doing some really good stuff there um, with PTSD because of that heightened. Um, Serotonin, with the increase of serotonin, you get that wonderful, euphoric, comforting increase in mood. And yep. so individuals suffering from PTSD can then speak about the traumatic events that have happened in a comforting, elevated manner, um, elevated in a mood sense. Um, so that's showing some really good um And then the uh, value is there. there and that you can unpack it a bit by talking about it and discussing yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And and so that's the key thing. It's like, well, these things seem to work and there's some really good stats coming out of it in conjunction that um, it's the MDMA in conjunction with the therapy and then it's guided and, and it's everything there and, and it's in a controlled setting um, and it elicits a more deeper um, response and understanding from the individual. And so especially with, um, especially US vets, a lot of the research is, is done with the, with the vets. Yep. Um, getting that FDA approval there is always a bit tricky. Um, it's going to be a few layers of... Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would imagine on that Yeah, one. yeah. So, so that's there. So... Um, and that's some really interesting to research there. But again, um, that's pure MDMA. That's a, and, it's and a totally different environment. Totally different environment. And amount. And and amount is, is all, yeah. And it's, yeah. It's it's really, it's the, the history of MDMA is actually really, really interesting. We won't go into that, but it's, <laughs> it's we'll interesting. Leave, we'll leave that one for We'll leave that one there. <laughs> but the important thing for people to understand is that you increase your serotonin levels when you're um, consuming MDMA. You decrease your appetite. People are going, you know, I'm not hungry. I don't want to eat. I don't want to drink. I don't want to do anything. Yep. And also, it inhibits sleep as well that's why serotonin's got that multifaceted approach what it does there in the body so individuals also don't feel sleepy at all so that's a good example of what serotonin can do in the body there right um because that then leads to what antidepressants actually are so people talk about antidepressants so from my understanding a very simple understanding in layman's terms for me antidepressants would boost your serotonin levels with whatever chemicals or drugs that they decide to give you? Um, it, How does it work? Not quite. It, it, it's similar because you would think that. Um, and so the one of the issues with um, one of the possible, I guess, risks, issues with um, MDMA consumption in high quantities is that because it elevates it, um, artificially the body's always trying to go for a homeostasis it's always trying to come back to equilibrium so it then will produce antibodies and stuff to produce it down there but because it's increased it so much artificially then you'll always go below the equilibrium and so then you have that um sort of crash or that come down the come down and the the down effect and so that's your body getting flushed out of serotonin and stuff like that um and like anything that you're taking artificially in large amounts, I mean, that's the issue with, um, say, testosterone, is that your body then is not naturally producing those those adequate mm-hmm. levels. And so with antidepressants, what they actually are are SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Right. 
Now, that gives you a clue of what it's actually doing. Yeah, the opposite. <laughs> is that it's inhibiting the reuptake of serotonin. So it's, it's and it sounds almost like a double negative mm. in that it, it's not artificially increasing the serotonin levels. It's just reducing, just inhibiting it to get below a certain level. So that's important. So when, say I have lots of, you know, clients come to me and then they've already seen the GP and the GP's just whacked them on um, SSRIs. Yep. And although in... in it sounds like a frustrating one it, for you. It is. That it was is. something there. <laughs> it, it is um, because I, I do want to make clear that in certain circumstances, um, medication is, is really important. Um, and in acute circumstances, it's it's very important. We need to get us back on track and doing that. But um, we very much look at it these days as, oh, just give me a pill, doc. You know, it's that microwave sort of mentality. I need the quick fix now. Yep. And the antidepressants were only really supposed to be used in that early um, changing stuff happening. You know, it's acute. We need to make a change right now. Um, and really, I, I suggest to only be on them from about six to nine months max. And then you hear of, of, of people being on these um, antidepressants for years. And that's not what they're meant to be. They're not a silver bullet. They're, they're a tool like all these other things. To essentially get you back on track. Yeah. And in particular, preventing us, um, <clears throat> our serotonin levels dropping super low to mm. too low. Right. Um, and the interesting thing is if we... If our serotonin levels drop really, really low, we get down to, you know, towards the lower levels is that we what we call it is like a negative affect, right? Yep. <clears throat> and so that you are not, what we mean by that is that y you don't have any um, uh, ability to experience um, your, your emotions and you're unemotive, you, you just, there's, there's no affect there. Um, and everything is grey is the best way to describe that. Right. Um, is that there is no pleasure seeking, um, there is no interest in stuff, everything's just grey. And at that bottom, bottom level, what we actually see is not a super high increase or, or super high, um, uh, a super high amount of people um, committing suicide. Yeah. Right? And so what, we see is then when the serotonin increases, serotonin actually increases back up, is that then the risk of suicide increases because right. now they're going to be more likely to do stuff and to go about doing things. So that's just a little caveat there to really be aware of that um, in that when we see an increase in them. But overall, um, that the medication is helpful in order to get us on the right track. But... Um, there's lots of behavioral things, natural things that we can do that is that is shown to be more effective than um, medication. But it's a good way to understand what's actually happening with serotonin. Yeah, and one of which, I guess, is um, one that we all think of is exercise. Yeah. And the importance of exercise. Yeah. Can you delve into that a little bit in terms I, of that and serotonin? Yeah, that's the biggest one. So the research tells us that um, exercise is about two or three times more effective in treating um, depression than medication, right. than SSRIs. That's massive, you know, that, and, and it just doesn't get talked about enough. Two or three times more effective than antidepressants. You don't usually see that from studies, by the way. Like most studies, yeah. the results that come out are a very small proportional exactly. change, like one point. Zero three better yep. compared to something else. So to have a two proportion is That's notable and like pretty yeah. massive off the like that should be obvious. Yeah, and and so what is one of the mechanisms there is that the, a precursor to serotonin is tryptophan chemical in the brain, and when we engage in exercise, tryptophan gets shunted into serotonin production. So you're literally increasing your serotonin in your brain when you engage in exercise you also get a release of endorphins um, and opioids so all those feel-good chemicals we all know that one yeah 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 and in terms of um maybe more specifically what what types of exercise um it tends to the studies tend to show aerobic exercise yeah so um you know about that 20 minutes, but any exercise is good exercise. Um, and I think the 
I think the government um, recommendations is 180 minutes of exercise per week is um, what they recommend for just overall well-being and health. Of both aerobic and anaerobic? Or? Yeah, that's a combination. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people are going, well, I'm not going to go for a 20-minute run. D- that's fine. That's one, That's me. Yeah. yeah that, that actually is about <laughs> and, and on that, guys, it's, it's all about momentum. Yeah. Start with going to the couch and then going to the door and then going outside. It's like, you know, yeah. small increments because what we want is achievement. If you do a 100-meter, you know, walk or run or very, very small yeah. stuff and you achieve it, then you get a release of dopamine and that's our reward system. Yeah, actually, this is a little bit off track, but um, Joe Rogan was actually doing a chat with someone yeah. and the the girl that was on it was explaining about her friend that was didn't have the energy to exercise. And he said, that's ridiculous. Do they, are they able to go walk to the fridge? Are they able to go walk to the couch? Exactly. You know, pick up a skipping rope, do that for five minutes. I think the problem with that is that particularly when people might be in a depressive state is that you put up roadblocks to yourself. Mm. Common ones would probably be, I'm so out of shape. Mm. I'm not going to go out and run for hundred meters and then, and then have not, to not walk do it I'm, yeah. I'm embarrassed by that yeah exactly or while you know like i can't run for two kilometers well i don't want to go out and do that there's, yeah that's sort of you start yeah. roadblocking yourself like that. exactly so let me take a step back so our first line intervention from a behavioral um model is a thing called behavioral activation fancy way of saying do stuff um, and because if we looked at what we were talking about earlier with that you, you're not going to engage or, or you're avoiding engaging in pleasure, pleasure-seeking activities is we actually want to go and re-engage that. So, hey, what did you previously like doing? Did you like playing the guitar? Okay, cool. Can you play the guitar for a couple of minutes? Did you like playing basketball and, and go do that? <laughs> yes, Whatever. Sir. That's my identity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's your, the basketball day. But and, and so I'll sit there with a client and, and work out what they previously enjoyed doing what they get enjoyment out of and it's very small where can we start what's the smallest way any, any hobby or any activity. anything be anything that's subjectively so it's up to you as the individual it's personalized to you what brings you happiness yeah what brings you enjoyment what did you get pleasure out of and then we very slowly start reintroducing reintroducing those different activities and Surely, one by one, we start doing them. And then not only are you increasing your serotonin levels because you are reactivating, you're, you're going and doing things. And if it's exercise, that's a bonus. But also, you're getting that dopamine um, response there in that you are, which is your reward system. And we can go into that later. But you are affirming your positive decisions. Yeah, I did walk to the door. Yep. And previously, I was in bed for two weeks and I did get up and walk to the door. So that's an achievement. And then if we have a small achievement on top of another small achievement and another small achievement, we get that compounding snowballing effect yeah. where all of a sudden, I started just walking there and then, then now I'm now I'm running, well, you know? Yeah, it, sound, it sounds very cliche, but it's it's baby steps. Right? It is, it is. Step and and it's step. literally using our understanding of... The, the chemicals in the brain to, to help that is that if you set an unrealistic task and going, okay, well, I, I previously didn't run and now you want me to run 5K, you're just going to go, absolutely yeah. not. No, thank you. But all of a sudden, you know, that that old adage, how do you how do you run a marathon? You know, one step at a time and you've really got to break it down. And that's where people go, you know, go a bit awry with, well, mm-hmm. I can't do... 20 minutes of exercise. And now you're feeling bad again. Yeah, and then it actually does the opposite. It's a very, it reaffirms. It's a very vicious cycle. <laughs> it reaffirms that negative cognitive bias as well that you're going, well, no, I'm not good at this. I, I can't do this. Um, all this sort of stuff. It's like, no, get those positive reaffirmations that you're doing these different things again and again and again and then it snowballs and all of a sudden, you're now doing that wonderful thing that you wanted to do. So it's very slowly and it's using our chemistry um, to support our, what our desires, what we want to do. So that is like the first step there. And then, <clears throat> okay, if we can do exercise, so now that we've, you know, you started painting or you started doing whatever, um, what forms of exercise can we do? Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll actually speak to that with one client in particular who he just started taking the SSRIs and they sort of take at least 14 days to to four weeks to set in and and um we kind of wanted to 
um, he, he was under the impression that it was the SSRIs that were changing stuff, but we changed some behavioral stuff. We changed um, his exercise regime yeah. and he was really, and to his credit, he really was motivated to make a change and um, he was able to enact those changes and he was doing exercise each day. We looked at some stuff with food and, and whatever and he thought it was the antidepressants. After 14 days, his mood had, had elevated. We yeah. did some other tests and the test came back that he'd actually decreased his um subjective depression and i'm going mate the ssris haven't even kicked in yet (laughs) (laughs) these are all these different behaviors within the first two weeks yeah yeah Yeah. exactly exactly so um it's really powerful stuff so um we went on a bit of a tangent there but to get back to the exercise (laughs) a really good powerful tangent but um what studies seem to show is that 20 minutes there of aerobic exercise, uh, running and, and, and stuff is um, running, swimming, um, biking, all that sort of stuff yep. releases the most amount of serotonin um, and also the most amount of endorphins um, and opi- opioids. So the, all that feel good stuff. And then you also get the added benefit because the opioid system obviously um, is making you feel good. And so you, that's that's sort of that run as high or that high that you feel after after exercise. You feel good at a chemical level. Yeah. Um, but work your way up. It's doing just some exercise every day is really powerful. There's definitely a role um, for resistance training um, that's going to um, positively affect testosterone and a bunch of different things there. So all exercise is good. Um, but if I had to pick one thing in particular, aerobic exercise, if we're talking about specifically with increasing serotonin levels. Yep. Um, it's a very good tip there. Um, moving on from exercise, we could delve into that even more. Mm. But from that, which I found super interesting from our last interview, was the importance of your gut health. Ah, oh. food. <laughs> food. Food. Who would have thought? Actually, that's... Because I didn't. This totally caught me up. I was telling anyone that would listen. Really? It's all tied in. Yeah. That one was probably my biggest, my favorite takeaway last time. Fantastic. And, and, you know, that that really warms my heart to hear because it's so unknown. Mm. And, mate, um, you know, I'm seeing, we're all seeing such an increase in not only um, neurocognitive disorders um, in schools, and so that's your ADHD and your ASD. is and then a huge increase in autoimmune disorders as well. And now we just didn't see this 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. It, it wasn't a thing. And especially in a good case example is in, in Asia and in lots of parts of Africa. Like we just didn't see these huge issues, especially with heart disease <clears throat> in particular, which is the number one killer globally and in Australia. There was no heart disease in, in most of China and Asia and stuff like that. And so a huge change in our um, food, the way that we um, make our food, the, the way that we produce our food has changed. Um, and it's a huge correlation to these neurocognitive disorders. And I, I think one of the largest contributors to this mental health pandemic, that's it's really like this side-by-side pandemic that we're seeing right now with the stats, with, with the actual COVID pandemic and mm. mental health. Yeah. I mean, it, it just keeps going up and up and up. Um, and there's a whole lot of factors in there, don't get me wrong, but food has really, really changed. Um, and why that is a huge factor is that 90 to 95% of your serotonin is produced in your gut. That's unbelievable. See, Wild. That make I guess in a way it makes sense. That's where all of our body's fuel comes from. Yes. That's yeah. what that's how we that's how the whole thing's running. But I guess as a layman or as layman, we sometimes think, particularly with these sort of abstractly named brain chemicals, mm-hmm. we go, that probably just popped up from somewhere. Well, it's in the brain. It's <laughs> surely <laughs> produced in the brain. in the brain. Somewhere, yeah, yeah. it's in the brain. It should be so produced So it seems obvious in a way, but in yeah. another way, we just wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't think of that. Yeah, and it's interesting because actually um, what, when we're in embryo, they're actually um, side by side the brain and the gut and then they separate off. So the, the f- from very similar em- um, origins, right? Yeah. Um, Side by side, separate off, and then the brut, the the brut, <laughs> the gut brain. <laughs> Lots of words. It's it's a great word. The gut brain axis is what we call this. This yep. highway of information between the gut and the brain. So the serotonin is produced in the gut, <clears throat> and it makes a way to the brain, and 
so that's why it's it's just that's one of the main reasons why gut health and we hear you know it's a bit of a buzzword right now yeah. gut health and we're starting to understand it from a psychiatric um, point of view now more and more there's so much more research in it because we're going holy moly 99.5% of serotonin is produced in the gut and we're talking about giving people ser- you know SSRIs and all these mm-hmm. different things but what about our gut health what's happening there and the other amazing thing with the gut is it is right next to a lot of the areas of our immune system so it has about I think about 70% of the immune system is located right next to the gut there and, and the endothelial's um uh, a barrier right next to it is like so minuscule it's so tiny so right. our gut health totally influences our immune system mm. and immune health which is massive right now when also we've important got pandemic yeah. <laughs> pandemic going around e- exactly yeah. so it's it's so so important and think about um 30 other neurotransmitters are also produced in the gut so it's just so it, so it's, important it's ridiculous and i think that this is important to say because the general population, or a large portion of it, wouldn't wouldn't know this, and no. I was I was one of them, or we were one of them. Yeah, I'll, I'll put myself there with you, Jack. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, there. and and that's also what we see um, in psychiatric presentations when we look at, say, um, anorexia and bulimia, that s- very very high comorbidity with anxiety disorders, mm. very high. Um, because obviously with those unfortunate disorders that they're doing the purging and different things where they're, um, you know, ripping off the, the um, underlying gut um, films and barriers and stuff like that. So they've got underlying gut dysbiosis and that's why there's such a high amount of prevalence of anxiety disorders yep. um, and mental health, other disorders there when we've got underlying gut dysbiosis. And then so IBS, ir- ir- irritable bowel syndrome, again, huge comorbidity with anxiety. Yeah, well, um, sorry, you go. I was just thinking it's an underappreciated and underthought about topic right now. It's just where our food comes from and what it might contain. Particularly, we're becoming yeah. a bit more aware that over the past however many years, the amount of chemicals and the amount of small bits of plastic that have yeah. crept into our food yeah. has just been steadily increasing without much regulation. Yeah, yeah, our food systems are... Um a huge issue, huge issue right now. And um, <clears throat> again, when I said earlier with what we're seeing, the differences in, in um, maybe some of these developing countries that now have um, had more Western diets, um, especially um, I was looking recently in Brazil, they didn't really have too much IBS um, in the last two decades. And now they're just absolutely, it's it's exploding. All right. Because now they're eating far more like the Western diet, the American diet. Mm. Um, and so there's a lot of issues. And then obviously, from my point of view, that, <clears throat> I mean, it's not like we can miss ASD and ADHD in the classroom. Like, it's very obvious. And I feel, you know, every second referral I'm getting is ADHD and stuff like that. It's it's massive. Um, and there's a whole lot of other factors that play into that. Um, don't get me wrong. <clears throat> but I think one of one of the main things is this intergenerational um, degrading of the gut microbiome yeah so that's why it's super important now what to do about it so the the why what's actually happening there what if we dive a little bit deeper in that let's (laughs) (laughs) permission granted (laughs) so we've the amazing thing is um in the gut we have all this bacteria that's what we mean by this microbiome yep is this micro uh, bacteria in there, right? So if you actually, all of the genes in the human body, 99% of it is bacterial. We only make up 1%. Yeah, right. We are straight up bacteria. <laughs> it's what a, everywhere. What a compliment. Bit of a realisation. <laughs> it's everywhere. <laughs> it's everywhere. It's in every, you know, single thing. Yeah. So um, massive to think that, you know, w- that we don't have this amazing symbiotic relationship with them is, is crazy. And, and it's been done like that for, for ages. So we have the ability to metabolize um, protein and uh, fats. What we don't have the ability to metabolize, break down, is carbohydrates. So we have outsourced the ability to break them down to our microbiota. Mm. 
There you go. And in return, in this beautiful symbiotic relationship, they when they break down fiber, yep. soluble fiber, there's two different types of fiber there, they produce, they do all these wonderfully beneficial things for the immune system and they produce these different neurotransmitters. So the key to a healthy microbiome is fiber. Fiber, the F word. So that's interesting, particularly carbohydrates, because I think that's of interest to me because that more recently than ever has attracted so much attention from people, particularly the word carbohydrate, particularly the word gluten. Mm. And a lot of these foods are all tied together and you see more and more people avoiding or being diagnosed as intolerant to some degree. But it's interesting to me that that is the role of the microbiome and how important that is. Yeah, so so let's break it down. So there's a celiac disorder. Yes. If you are a celiac, then you cannot, cannot consume gluten. gluten. That's, let's just no, put I'm, that I'm out not, there. I'm not attempting to yeah. disprove any intolerance. <clears throat> yeah. I just think it's interesting that a lot of the foods that, a lot of glutinous foods are carbohydrates mm. or are yeah. fibrous and there's a big crossover, particularly when you're considering how important that type of food is as input. Yeah, and and so let's break that down because carbohydrates again, people have, um, you know, understandably a very limited understanding of what them. So you've got your simple carbohydrates and your complex carbohydrates. So your simple carbohydrates are your refined sugars, you know, your sugary donut, that sort of thing. <clears throat> That's when we say, oh, you know, carbs. Are, no, not carbs are bad and fats are bad. No, they're, they're very. There's there's a nuance in there. Simple carbohydrates, no good. Avoid that. That's <clears throat> that's um, so your sugars. Yep. So when you consume a lot of um, simple carbohydrates, your refined carbohydrates, um, that increases your insulin levels. And what we do know is that an increase in blood glucose levels and insulin levels is connected with depression yep. and anxiety. So no good. <clears throat> Don't do that. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't. I thought you were going to say diabetes and diabetes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's we literally what that's literally what diabetes <laughs> it's is. Like, like, and that's the crazy you thing. Actually, got me there with the pause. Yeah, <laughs> that's the crazy thing. I mean, we never type two diabetes it wasn't ever a thing. Like type one is is genetic. That's really unfortunate. But type two is purely environmental. We created this new disease out of affluence and and people eating all, all, all these different foods. Yep. Is that you're not born with type two diabetes? You might have some genetic predispositions towards it, but type one that's genetic. Type two is purely what you do and what you put in your body, um, and so we can we can reverse and avoid um, type two diabetes definitely. So and that's what's that's the issue there with the insulin and everything like. That. We don't need to go into that. But um, so so carbohydrates sort of get a bad rap, and and there's so many studies as well that you know want to put carbohydrates against fats, and in every not every single study, but in the majority of the meta analyses and that sort of stuff that comes back is we see no difference, and we put individuals in a high carbohydrate control study compared to a high um, fat, and we even you know mitigate it for doing really good control ones of it, and it comes back no difference. All it is is um, adherence to the actual protocol is is the main thing right and so but again it speaks to this need that people which want to blanket stuff no nutrition is extremely nuanced and you got to break down what's actually happening there and so if we look at what's happening in, in the carbohydrates, so the, the simple carbohydrates, your, your sugars and stuff like that that spike insulin levels, no good, we don't want to have that. And also sugar, it taps into the same, it, it is pretty much similar to how cocaine works in the body. That's why it's super addictive wow. with, dopamine, do, with dopamine. Yeah, it's crazy. So sugar, that's why it's so addictive. It hijacks the dopamine receptors in the brain. So It is sugar, very addictive. So when people yeah. talking about getting off sugar this is a serious undertaking yeah it is it is so then we've got complex carbohydrates now complex carbohydrates that's where it's at that's where you're getting your fiber from okay that's the good stuff and so with the complex carbohydrates um what we get from them when they get metabolized in the gut is these short chain fatty acids and they are the wonderful boys go into town on all the bad stuff and <laughs> to try and make it like not that. super sciencey like um and that they are just helping the body do all these fantastic amazing things right and that's what we get from so your complex carbohydrates your your grains your whole grains so grains are fantastic 
um, nuts and seeds, um, legumes, so, you know, your beans and lentils and that sort of stuff, um, fruits, vegetables, leafy greens. Or, you all know, the good stuff. <clears throat> all the good stuff. So Boys that, go to town on the good stuff. <laughs> on the good stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. So because we've outsourced that ability to metabolize fiber, we, you have those those um, complex carbohydrates, those dense carbohydrates, they get broken down into a bunch of different things. And then in return, we get all these wonderful neurotransmitters from that. So that's this Pretty beautiful symbiotic relationship we have. Sounds we like have a good deal. Good yeah. deal for us. Yeah. <laughs> I'd take that. Yeah. Well, another good deal. Tom was actually cooking for us tonight. I don't know whether you're staying around, but he's... Unfortunately, I don't think so. We're doing, I think, the legumes are yeah. included in the... Yeah, so that's what I wanted to do because I wanted to, you know, put, show you guys some some easy ways to do it. And, and um, yeah, we're going to do some Mexican. We're going to have some beans. And so, I you like know, <clears throat> all... And that, actually, that's what I did want to add onto it is the number one thing for a healthy gut is diversity of the microbiome diversity is the number one thing right so because because what's happened is intergeneration intergenerationally it's a tough word to say that is you a tough nailed, word. It though. yeah um we've had a you know standard american australian diet same thing and because that's very confined with the amount of um uh complex carbohydrates that you've that you've taken in therefore they are specific to different um, microbiome right <clears throat> and so then they die off yeah and so throughout the last three generations we've had a reduction in the uh diversity of microbiome in the gut so the, and they're tapping into all these different neurotransmitters and that's why we're seeing these well that's one of the main reasons seeing these different neurocognitive disorders is that slowly by slowly because i mean it, the studies show that you know people are having very few amounts of fruits and vegetables and you ask people what legumes are and most people don't know mm. right <clears throat> and so diversity is key so we want to have a huge variety of different all, all plants contain fiber soluble and non-soluble and in, in, in totally different amounts and so if we can consume a variety of different um, diverse plants, different colors, that's a good way to go. You know, do you want leafy greens and different stuff. Um, and then the other big thing that we've seen that really increases um, gut health is fermented foods. Right. Yakult. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a throwback. I'm, I'm on the train right now, mate. Well, I've, I actually have noticed within maybe the last six months, even going to the markets or supermarkets, there's been a lot of um an increase in people selling um fermented whatever foods they are fermented beetroots fermented really yeah it's popping off yeah Mm -hmm. so yeah because well um when you consume fiber that's a prebiotic to sort of start everything going and a lot of the um uh, fermented f- foods are probiotic, so it's helping everything go together. So they just love that. It's it's like you know a treat for them. So it it it, it have you have this <laughs> bloom of, of microbiome that then increase there. So that's really good yep. to um to get going and yeah, amazing. Um, that was a good deep dive into the food fiber, the F word, very fiber. very important. Yeah. Um, mate, moving on from food and into our next big topic. Mm. Sleep. Oh, yeah. 